Welcome to the podcast that will teach you how to successfully invest in and build steady streams of passive income from the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Veteran real estate investors Kevin Bupp and Charles Dehart from Mobile Home Park Academy will personally share with you the valuable lessons they've learned along their journey as mobile home park investors so that you too can learn how to build massive cash flow and huge profits from this extremely lucrative niche. So without further ado, let's welcome your hosts for today's show, Kevin Bupp and Charles Dehart. Welcome, guys and gals, to the Mobile Home Park Investing Weekly Podcast, where we'll provide all the information that you need to know to successfully locate, negotiate, close on, and make huge profits from the lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. I'm your host, Kevin Bupp, and today's show, we're going to be speaking with manufactured housing finance expert, Jerry Muir. Jerry holds the position of managing director at Greystone, working with the agency lending team. Now, prior to joining Greystone, Jerry was a 25-year veteran of Fannie Mae. Jerry's primary focus as a part of the Greystone team will be on building out and expanding their manufactured housing lending platform. Now, during Jerry's time as a director of multifamily credit and underwriting at Fannie Mae, he was responsible for a 12-state Southeast region with a dual role in having developed and managed the manufactured housing community lending platform. Now, Jerry managed the MHC platform at Fannie for over 15 years, overseeing over $10 billion in financing for this asset class. And guys, so I'm very excited to have a, a candid conversation with Jerry about a variety of industry-related topics. But before we do, I just have a few quick housekeeping items I want to run through with you. First and foremost, as you guys know, we're in acquisition mode over here at Sunrise Capital Investors. Uh, we, we always are. I don't mention this every week, but I forget a lot of times. But in any event, we're, we're out there. We're looking for opportunities. And so while you're out there in your hunt and you run across an opportunity that doesn't fit your criteria, or maybe it's just a little too big, or uh, you don't have the capital necessary to take it down, please think of us. Uh, you can reach out to us uh, through our website, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. Just go to the contact us page and just drop me a line. Uh, it will come to uh, someone here on our team. They'll make sure it gets to me. Tell me a little bit more about yourself and about the opportunity and we'll look to connect with you. Next up, we just opened up the second tranche in our mobile home park growth and income fund. And so if you're an accredited investor and you're interested in partnering with us on our own acquisitions, please visit our secure investor portal by going to invest.sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. And there you can review our PPM and investment summary and also uh, some prior webinars that we've done as well. And then lastly, guys, if you happen to be in the Tampa Bay area, whether it be for work or pleasure, um, I'd love to connect with you. I've uh, connected with hundreds of you over the last couple of years. If you've got some time during your, your visit here, we're only about a 20-minute drive across the bay from the Tampa International Airport is where our office is located. I'd love to grab breakfast or lunch or dinner or coffee, beer, whatever it might be, whatever you have time for. Reach out to me again through our website, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com, the contact us page, and let me know when you're coming and let's see if we can coordinate our schedules together. With that, guys, I'm excited to get on to the show with Jerry here. So let's welcome Jerry Muir to the show. Jerry, how are you doing today, my friend? Just fine. Thanks for that introduction, Kevin. Yes, yes. So thank you for thank you for joining us here. I'm I'm, I'm very very excited to to get you here on the show. I mean, just your the depth of your experience in MHC space is, uh, is second to none. You know, this is a fairly young industry when you compare it to all the other asset classes that are out there, all the different flavors of commercial real estate. MHC is, is, is fairly young. I don't know the, the true age, but probably somewhere in like the 80, 80 year range or so. And so it's fairly young in comparison to a lot of the others. And you've been in it for, you know, 25 plus years now. And so a ton of experience. And I'm excited to dig deep and, and understand your background, especially as it pertains to, to Fannie Mae. And so 
with that, maybe we can start off, Jerry. I think it would be appropriate to, I gave you an introduction. It surely wasn't, wasn't expansive enough to really, uh, you know, for our folks to understand your background and, and you know, kind of you know, how you came into this space and, and your depth of experience. So tell us a little more about yourself, sure. if you would. Sure. As you mentioned, I've been at Fannie Mae for about 25 years before joining Greystone. And it's kind of interesting. In 2000, I got a call from our home office. I was in the Atlanta office from one of the VPs who had been with the co-op bank. And they had been making loans on manufactured housing communities. And the VP said, I want you to go ahead and set up a program for Fannie Mae. Well, be perfectly honest with you. I knew nothing about the uh, product. So I called a number of uh, lenders that were making loans on manufactured housing communities, and they sent me their underwriting guidelines, et cetera. And we put together, based on that information and in my discussions with them, we put together a, a term sheet. And we ran it by Fannie Mae's credit committee, not just the multifamily credit committee, but the uh, corporate credit committee. And they were kind of going, you want to do what? <laughs> and the reason they took that, yeah, the reason they took that reaction was they had been buying, on the single family side, they had been buying Conseco bonds that were backed by the chattel loans on mm-hmm. the homes. And they didn't do well at all, as mm-hmm. everybody is pretty much aware. So we back, went back to the drawing table and did a white paper on the whole industry and went back in again. And they said, okay. We'll let you set up a pilot, but you can only do the best of the best. And so the first deal we did was with actually with Chateau Properties, and it was a credit facility with five real high-quality loans. And the program just kind of took off from there, and they gave me a lot of latitude. And talking with the dust originators, as we went along, they kind of helped guide me as to, um, hey, guess what? Most of these parks don't have uh, public water and sewer. You're out in a little bit more rural area and you've got well water and a private treatment plant because <laughs> originally our guidelines had public utilities only. And we got comfortable with that. And I just kept working the program. And part of what helped me to work the program to do a lot more wider variety of deals and a little bit lower, lower our quality requirements. We Benny, you may still had high quality requirements in general. But uh, we were able to lower them considerably over time because the product performed so well. Mm -hmm. It was actually one of the best performing products in Fannie Mae's portfolio. Hmm. So rewind or go forward to to today and Fannie Mae actually does what they, they've got a quality rating system and they do quality three, four, and five. Of course, five are your age restricted, real high quality communities, which really are a lifestyle decision, full amenity packages, et cetera. And then your threes are your family communities, which are truly affordable housing. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of subjectivity on whether it's a three or a two, and it's a pretty broad path from that standpoint. And there's certain criteria they look at. And Kevin, as you know, when you walk on one of these properties, you can tell right away if the rules and regulations are being enforced. Mm-hmm. And if it's a quality deal, you might not have the prettiest homes in there, but if it's a well-run community and stable, it's going to do well. And uh, sure. you know, from that standpoint, what they, they look for, they want paved roads. They prefer, you know, two off-street parking, paved, paved spots, the homes to be skirted. But at the same time, 
they realize that there may be a one or two older homes in the community. People have been there forever. And, you know, when they turn over those homes, you know, they'll upgrade them or whatever, and they don't quite meet the quality standards. But overall, the park is well run, it's clean, et cetera, from that standpoint. Are Another there, area that, yeah, yeah go ahead. I was going to ask if there's situations, you know, regarding the subjectivity of, you know, is it a two or three star? Are there certain situations with Fannie where they'll make considerations and let's say it's a, you know, by their standards, it's a two and a half star today, but, you know, with X, Y, and Z improvements, you know, immediately following closing, you know, with uh, some money in reserves that it can easily right. restar. Uh, how do they, how do they feel about that? Well, I was at Fannie Mae, we did deals and I'm doing them today too, where you go through and it's a quality park, but oh my gosh, you know, there's a few homes with exposed hitches, but that's not a problem. And they'll, they'll go with that, you know, if there's just a few homes, but again, it's the overall quality of the park and it's been well run and the rules and regulations are being enforced. They'll get comfortable with that. But as you mentioned, at the same time, if there's, you know, a lot more exposed hitches or there's some skirting that needs repairs, you can set up a replacement or a capital reserve fund to make those repairs after the loan closed. So yes, that is a possibility. They will look at that type of situation. Got it. Got it. And so give us some statistics on how, you know, Fannie's origination volume has really grown over the years from, from when you first introduced that, that, that first loan to them or opportunity to them to today. I mean, and I feel like it's been leaps and bounds probably over the last five years. Like it's just like, it's, it's on this massive upward trajectory, but can you give us an idea from a general standpoint of pure loan volume size? Yeah. The first few years of the program, and to be perfectly honest with you, when we first set the program, we were only doing credit facilities and it wasn't available for the full dust program. Now it's available for the full dust program. You can get all the uh, loan terms that are available to multifamily dust from that standpoint. So we're only doing, you know, those first couple of years, you know, 200, 300 million dollars worth. Well, it grew, I think about five or six years into the program, we hit a billion. And some of that was a result of doing credit facilities, which are larger transactions where you got multiple properties. And uh, it grew from there. And some, some of the best years, we were doing three or $4 billion at Fannie Mae. And as you mentioned in the introduction, while I was there, we probably did, we did north of 10 billion, to be perfectly honest with you. And the program continues to be one of the big programs over there. And as you know, the agencies went into conservatorship, gosh, it's been a long time now. I think it's going on 10 years or close from that standpoint. And Fannie Mae got their manufactured housing community program in place before they went into conservatorship. But after the agencies went into conservatorship, they couldn't set up new programs. So uh, Freddie Mac is now in, in the uh, doing manufactured housing communities, but they got held out of the uh, setting up a program for a number of years. I think they're probably going on four, maybe they're in their fifth year of uh, doing manufactured housing communities. So that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac both offer that option now. What are some of the bigger differences between Fannie and Freddie? We've done Fannie loans, but we have not not done any Freddie loans. And so just from a high level point, what are some of the bigger differences between the two? Really, there's not that much difference. It was kind of interesting when they came out with their program, I was looking at their criteria. And of course, they had to get approval from the regulator and the regulator knew Fannie had a program that was working. 
was performing well and they probably guided them a little bit from the standpoint to look at the Fannie Mae guidelines and, and pretty much track them. So there's not that big a difference. The one big difference is that Fannie Mae has a small loan program mm-hmm. where it used to be a small loan was $3 million and then you could go up to 5 million in high profile markets. And that's a much more streamlined underwriting. So it's much more appealing to a borrower as far as cost. And Fannie Mae has that program and Freddie Mac has a small balance loan program, but they don't do, they currently don't do manufactured housing communities under that program. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is it's in the last month or so, Fannie Mae actually increased the loan size for their small loan program on a national basis up to 6 million, which really helps again. Cause as you know, you're underwriting pad rent, which isn't typically a lot of rent. So your loans tend to be a little bit smaller in this space. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that six million is really going to help some of these borrowers as far as the cost of uh, originating, having their loan originated. And in that small loan balance program, what's the minimum loan size that that Fannie will consider? They'll go down to a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, the economics get a little tough from that standpoint sometimes because you do have some third party costs, mm-hmm. and from that standpoint, but they'll go down to a million dollars. And then, you know, you might have that situation where they're doing something with a particular customer. They've done a lot of business with them and they happen to have a deal with a little bit under a million dollars. They'll probably consider that just because they, it's a repeat customer and they've done a lot of business with them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the, you know, one of the big concerns with getting into any, you know, whether it be a Fannie, Freddie, or even a, a CMBS a secured type loan is, you know, in this industry there, it's quite common to run across communities that have been maybe operated by the original mom and pop for many years. And maybe the full value has not been realized. Maybe the rents are drastically below market. Maybe the, you know, the operational expenses are much higher than standard. But in any event, there's a lot of value that can be seen there in a very short period of time. And I know that, you know, obviously the uh, the defeasance or the cost of, of getting out of one of these loans prior to the 10-year term is quite expensive, but Fannie's got a supplemental loan program that uh, essentially might allow a borrower to to tack on a, a secondary loan and, and realize some of those, some of that sweat equity that they've created over whatever period of time it might be. So can you speak to that supplemental loan program and, and just so we have a better understanding what that is and what the opportunity might present? Yeah, it sounds like you're talking about two scenarios. One is where somebody comes in and buys a mom and pop where the rents are below market and they've got the opportunity to increase rents. Mm-hmm. But Fannie Mae can only, and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac can only pretty much underwrite to what is in place at that time. That's correct. And so the bar, the new owner comes in and as you know, typically rent increases are on an annual basis. And uh, so that, let's say, they bought the property in January, their annual rent increases in July, and they're going to raise the rents conservatively. With Fannie Mae, you can typically get a waiver because usually they don't want to put a supplemental loan on until after 12 months mm-hmm. because typically, you know, where's all this appreciation coming from? <laughs> and they, you know, it's kind of like, well, from that standpoint, but on manufactured housing communities, because you've got so much stability because it costs so much for a, a resident to take it home and move it to another park. I mean, you could, you know, it could be in excess of $7,000. They're not going to just move down the road, like in a multifamily property where the property down the street lowers their rent and residents go, ah, I think I'll move down there. 
it's not that big a deal. You got a lot of stability in manufactured housing communities. So they'll sometimes give a waiver to allow a supplemental within 12 months based on that rent increase. And then that rent increase, just compared to how they underwrite multifamily, a multifamily, they underwrite to the trailing three months revenue. Typically, they annualize that. Mm-hmm. On a manufactured housing community, again, because of the stability, as long as that one month rent increase is in place and has been collected, they'll underwrite to that higher higher amount. Mm-hmm. And then the other situation I think you're talking about is where an owner, there's a loan in place with an owner and he's raised the rent and uh, you can get a supplemental loan, again, based on the increase in the rent and they'll underwrite to the trailing one month rent increase. What does that supplemental loan look like? You know, what, what's the combined loan to value? And, and, and also, what does the process look like to actually to obtain the supplemental? Well, they actually call it first lien um, pricing. So you get an advantage there. But again, you got to meld the two rates mm-hmm. from that standpoint. As far as the underwriting, I mean, it's a it's a basically a second mortgage. And so they're underwriting that in you know, they have to re-underwrite the deal, mm-hmm. but they'll go up to 75% of the appraised value. And then, you know, your debt service coverage has to play out. Fannie Mae has risk-based pricing. Mm-hmm. They've got what they call tier two, which is 80% with a 125 coverage. Tier three is 65% leverage with a 135 coverage. And then your tier four is 55% LTV, 155 coverage. And they, you get better pricing the more conservative the loan is mm-hmm. from that standpoint. And um, so, you know, if you got a tier two loan on the property and you want to do a supplemental, you'd get tier two pricing on the supplemental, basically. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. And but a, but a max, yeah, but a max of seventy five percent LTV. At okay. That point. Okay. And what do you see? I mean, in, in the foreseeable future, I mean, would you say that Fannie? Uh, would you classify them as being bullish in the MHC space, or do you th- see things changing a little bit? I mean, every, every, the whole talk of recession, I mean, has been getting thrown around for the last couple of years now, right? No one's got a crystal ball, so no one has any idea. And and I think that we are in the right space. Uh, when when the tide turns uh, the opposite direction, you know, I, I believe that the MAC space is the most stable housing option out there, at least from an investor's perspective. And But I mean, as far as the, their lending criteria, do you see them still being very bullish in this industry? Most definitely. Their regulator, the FHFA, basically restricts the amount of business the two agencies can do, and they call it capped or uncapped business. And uncapped business is they can do as many loans as they want in that space, and they consider manufactured housing community lending uncapped business. And actually, Fannie Mae prices it a little bit better than multifamily in certain cases. From that standpoint, again, their portfolio has performed extremely well. Uh, They love the business. And then you've got the situation where, I don't know if you're aware of a program or the regulator calls it duty to serve, where the agencies have to play in the affordable housing preservation space, rural housing, and they added manufactured housing communities to that space. On the single family side of the business, under this duty to serve, they've asked the agencies to look at chattel lending, which could be a really big plus for the industry, as you know. And I think we you mentioned it earlier that 
there's more rental housing in communities because there's chattel lending out there, but it's not that available in certain situations. So a number of borrowers and park owners have turned to park-owned homes and renting them out. And sometimes they do a lease to purchase, but Fannie Mae considers that the same thing as a rental, to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. So if if the agencies came out with um, chattel lending that could really help, and it would probably be more affordable than current chattel rent lending, and it would really help communities to uh, fill up their spaces. But um, where are they at with that uh, that that program? Are they actually in a pilot program at this point in time? Or I, I've heard word of it, and, and but I, I wasn't really sure where they're currently at with it. They haven't, and I haven't seen it yet. But the last meeting, I actually serve on Fannie's duty to serve council, and they haven't come out with a pilot yet. The biggest problem they're having is getting industry data on performance, mm-hmm. and they've asked the lenders that are in that business to help them get that data. And so they, uh, I wouldn't be surprised maybe later this year or early next year that they'll come, probably come out with a pilot on channel lending yeah. and, and go from there. I'm assuming the, the, the other lenders in the space are probably keeping it close to the vest. I mean, you talk about a big competitor coming in. <laughs> Warm yeah, up that's true. Happy. <laughs> right. 21st mortgage, uh, you know, they're, they're not, I, I don't know if they're the largest originator of chattel in the space or not. I'm not sure who is, but um, I'm sure they, they, they make a big dent in the chattel lending side. Uh, but the other, the other area on the multifamily side under the duty to serve is they want them to lend to more nonprofits from that standpoint and also to resident owned communities, which are basically co-ops. They've also come out with a program that well, Fannie Mae just put out a uh, lender memo here you know, a couple weeks ago where they're actually giving a price break for loans to manufactured housing community loans to to nonprofits. And also, if you've got pad protection uh, for the um, homeowners, pad protection leases, they'll also give a pricing break there. And it's kind of a sliding scale. So you've got 25% of the leases have these certain conditions and you can get a certain price break. And then it goes up from there. So they're really trying to push, push in those areas. Are there any states where Fannie won't lend in the MHC space? No. No. Got it. Got it. Hey guys, Kevin Bupp here with Sunrise Capital Investors. As you are hopefully already well aware, if you've been a listener for any period of time, my goal has always been to provide you with as much value as I possibly can through my two podcasts, Real Estate Investing for Cashflow and the Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. As our audience continues to grow, literally, we've been downloaded millions of times by folks in over 125 countries. I've had thousands of people reach out looking to get involved in our niche. And that's the phenomenal niche of mobile home park investing. For those that don't know, I've been a full-time real estate investor for nearly 20 years now, and I've personally invested in and have owned apartment complexes, various commercial properties, hundreds of single-family rentals, and I've interviewed some of the most successful investors in just about every other asset class, and I've arrived at this one very simple conclusion. Mobile home parks are hands down the best investment I've found to date. Why? They provide investors with the best risk-adjusted returns out of any other real estate sector that I've seen. Investing in real estate can get complicated, and I really want to simplify this process for you. 
If you're someone who wants to diversify away from the uncertainty of Wall Street and allocate a percentage of, of your real estate portfolio to mobile home parks, but maybe you don't have the time nor the inclination to personally locate good deals yourself, then our team will do it for you. At Sunrise Capital Investors, our team specializes in the acquisitions and management of undervalued and highly profitable mobile home parks. And we are now providing accredited investors with an opportunity to participate directly alongside our team in our up-and-coming deals. And let me say this, I believe that we are hands down the best in our space at sourcing highly profitable off-market deals. That's really what makes us unique in this niche and as investment managers. As stewards of your capital, we truly are aligned with our investors. We've structured our investment fund so that we as a company are incentivized in the same way the investor is, which is through the performance of the investment itself. In addition, we want to make sure that we not only make money for our investors, but that they understand how it's being made. That's why we provide our accredited partners with a private monthly podcast that walks them through the detailed updates on how their investment is performing. And we're very transparent, providing with the good, the bad, and the ugly at times. And so if you'd like to learn more about the partnership opportunities with our team here at Sunrise, please go visit sunrisecapitalinvestors.com and click on the investors link to get signed up. It's absolutely free and you'll get placed on the priority list of when new opportunities come along. Also, feel free to call us at 833-CASHFLOW without the O. Again, that's 833-CASHFLOW without the O. And one of our investor relations team members will help you schedule an appointment to speak with one of our managing principals. If you have questions, go ahead and schedule a call and let's get on the phone and talk. And with that, guys, I'd like to leave with one last thought. From the time that I wake up in the morning to the time that I lay my head down the rest of the evening... My number one priority with everything I do, whether it be recording this podcast, working for our investors, helping each of you reach your investment goals, to providing a great experience to each of our residents who reside in our communities, is to add huge amounts of value to everyone that I come in contact with. Now, with that being said, I look forward to the opportunity of bringing value to you through Sunrise and through this podcast. Thank you for your time. Now, let's go ahead and get back to the show. With regards to the, the types of communities we talked about, kind of their their flavor for three, four, and five star, you know, possibly consider a two and a half star, you know, with some type of uh, capital improvement reserve in place and agreed upon plan of execution of what improvements are going to be made. Do they, does, does Fanny get involved in any of the, you know, what I like to call the the hybrid types of parks, you know, the, the ones that might have, you know, tiny homes are trendy in certain parts of the country. And I've seen, I've seen more and more, you know, communities bring in that tiny home aspect or, you know, even you know, communities that have maybe a full-time MH component with a, a part-time or seasonal RV component, which I like to classify as kind of hybrid parks. There might be a more formal name for them, but I call them hybrids because they've got the permanent, then they also have the season, seasonal basis. That's you see that a lot in Arizona, see a lot in, in, uh, in Florida here, Texas markets, you know, basically the snowbird markets. Does Fannie get involved in any of those types of loans? Yes, they do. Their, their base underwriting guidelines allow for RV income. They prefer that the RVs kind of be located in one area of the park, but there's always exceptions. And you got to remember the agencies provide guidelines for lending and you can get waivers for certain situations. But yeah, they'll allow RV income up to 25% of the, of effect, I'm sorry, 10% of effective gross income. Okay. And uh, talking, talking with the guys over at Fannie Mae here recently, you can probably get a waiver up to 20%. And I think they're going to be coming up with new guidelines a little bit later this uh, 
spring. And uh, it's my understanding they're going to increase that to 20% of effective gross income. Now, at the same time, while I was at Fannie Mae, we did a couple of age-restricted, what I call age-restricted park model RV resorts. Mm-hmm. And park models are nothing more, you probably know this, park models are nothing more than a little bit smaller home, but they're basically permanently placed versus an RV can be moved. And Fannie Mae considers park models the same as a standard manufactured housing home from the standpoint of their underwriting. But then RVs, they underwrite to the trailing, the average of the prior three years. And then mm-hmm. they restrict it to 10% of effective gross or now 20% from Got that it. standpoint. So that's from that standpoint. But they'll they'll look at a park model RV resort, probably needs to be age restricted on the high end quality side mm-hmm. right now. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Let's talk about Greystone a little bit. Let's talk about, uh, you know, I mean, just maybe give a little bit of background of the company and kind of your, your involvement, you know, from Graypoint, uh, Greystone's perspective in the MHC space. I know you guys are involved in a litany of other commercial assets, but let's, let's stick with the MHC and, and just get a better understanding of who Greystone is as a, as a, a lender. Yeah. Greystone is a Duff and, and Fannie Mae lender. They basically commercial real estate lending investment and an advisory company. They're headquartered in uh, New York City. In 2018, Greystone had a great year. We did $10.3 billion of commercial loans across a variety of products, including FHFA, I'm sorry, FHA, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. They do bridge lending and they do CMBS mm-hmm. from that standpoint. Uh, the company was actually founded by Stephen Rosenberg in 1988, and uh, he remains the company's CEO. And the company is highly Thrombic, yeah, they donated, they donate actually half of their annual profits to charity each year, believe it or not. It's wow. amazing. That is incredible. Yeah, it's quite something. Yeah, it's an amazing company to work for. Mm-hmm. Greystone, this past year, Greystone was the number one HUD-insured multifamily and healthcare lender. Their total FHA origination volume was nearly $2 billion. From a Fannie Mae perspective, they're, they were the number one producer of small loans. They're the number two producer of what they call green loans. Those are the loans where you come in with the energy efficient changes to the property. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're actually the number three producer of affordable housing loans. And they were number six as far as o- overall dust landing. So they were wow. in the top 10. For Freddie Mac, they're actually the number three producer of small balance loans and the number 10 overall Freddie Mac lender. So the company is really doing extremely well from that standpoint. And again, one of the pluses with Greystone is not all the dust lenders participate in the small loan program. As you can imagine, the smaller loans, it takes a lot, a lot of back office and, you know, to do a lot of volume, you got to do a lot of small loans from that standpoint. So you got to have the infrastructure to do it. And they're one of the dust lenders that do uh, small loan manufactured housing communities, which is a real plus. And mm-hmm. now with this change to six million minimum, the, that program is going to really help them do even more. How, how do the you know, underwriting criteria, I guess, or or the, how, how does the process differ once you go above that six million dollar and get out of that small loan balance program? I mean, is it is it a much more restrictive and, and intrusive underwriting process or qualifying process or? Well, it's, it's really not more intrusive. It's just that basically on the third party report side, you've got some efficiencies which save a lot of money mm-hmm. uh, from that standpoint. So, 
your property condition report may or may not be required. And even if you have to do one, it can be a streamlined report versus a full report for a loan over six million. On the environmental side, you get a screening report. And if there are no issues, you're good to go versus having to do a phase one, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And there's no size, seismic requirements as long as you're out of the, I can't remember the exact, out of the major seismic areas. So there's some savings there that really help with a small loan got size. It. Got it, got it. We haven't and done any extremely, loans more than six yeah. million. That's why I ask. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. From that standpoint. You know, one thing, Kevin, let me just throw out one thing that I think is critical on manufactured housing communities, and it has to do with properties in flood zones. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac will do properties in flood zones under certain situations, but here's the issue. So if you got the residents all owning their homes and there's a flood and those homes get wiped out, they may or may not have flood insurance. Now, of course, if they've got a lien on their home, they're probably going to be required to have flood insurance. Mm-hmm. But you know, let's say you make a $5 million loan, the insurable collateral is probably only two or $300,000. So if you have a major flood and the community gets wiped out from an insurance standpoint, there's a big shortfall. you got a $5 million loan and you can collect two or $300,000 mm-hmm. proceeds and the residents may or may not come back. Now, Fannie Mae has kind of looked into this, and it's really a case-by-case situation how they look at it. But in Florida, you've got a situation where, you know, it rains real hard, the water comes up, and then it dissipates. It really doesn't destroy anything from that standpoint. But so as long as the living floor level of the home is above the base flood elevation, they will underwrite the income from that pad from that standpoint. But if you're next to moving water like a a river or something that floods and can really be destructive, mm-hmm. they're probably not going to do be able to do the deal. Got it. Just That's because of that know. insurance. Yeah, that you got such a big disconnect between the insurance and what your loan amount is. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's good to know. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because that, that's surely something that's important to, to understand. I mean, there's there's a lot of deals that we pass on just due to the you know, whether they're in a you know partial or full flood zone, but many deals we've looked at that are actually in, have portions of the park that are in floodways. You know that you know, ultimately would be very destructive should rising water occur. It's good to know really what the options are as far as lending uh, for those folks that are listening. So I appreciate you bringing that up, Jerry. Is there anything else that you feel would be relevant for our listeners to, to understand about whether it be Greystone or Fannie Mae in general before we, you know, work to wrap up the show? No, I, as I mentioned, uh, both agencies really love the product. It's performed mm-hmm. extremely well for both of them and it's full speed ahead from the standpoint of trying to do more and more business in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, I know that uh, we've had a great experience uh, with, with, with the Fannie loans that we've done. And um, I'm, I'm excited to see that chattel pilot program come out because that, I think that would be revolutionary to our space. I mean, I feel that is one of the, as you know, that, that is one of the, the, the greater challenges. We've, we've got many challenges in this industry. We've solved a bunch of them over the last uh, five to 10 years, but we've got many more hurdles to kind of push through or jump over. And I feel like the chattel financing is one of those, at least as it pertains to, you know, community, existing communities getting filled, right? Giving options to the end consumer or to the park owner to essentially bring new inventory into those homes and create internal sales programs. Um, Chattel financing exists today, but it's incredibly expensive. It's cost prohibitive in a lot of situations and it could be much better. (laughs) Yeah, it will will really open up 
to more people and uh, make it more affordable for them to get into a home and, and get into a park. No question about it. Yeah. Uh, Jerry, what's the best place to reach you? Greystone, just go to the website or do you, ha- do you have other, is there another way for folks to find out more about Greystone, Greystone and what you guys offer there? Well, the Greystone, uh, the website is a good start. I mean, I always tell people if they've got a question or whatever, they can always, you know, contact me from that standpoint. I actually, I don't live in Atlanta anymore. I actually live in Superior, Colorado, which is just below Boulder, Colorado. We okay. moved out here a couple of years ago from that standpoint, but I don't know if you want me to provide my phone number or. No, I'd say, what, what, yeah, what? probably not a good idea unless you want to give it out, but uh, otherwise it'll be about 15,000 people that have your phone number. So I don't know if that's a good uh, idea or not, but. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So how about, uh, you know, just guys, if you want more information, go to uh, grayco.com. So it's gray, G-R-E-Y-C-O.com. That's the website. And uh, Jerry, can they track you down through the main company website or LinkedIn, or is there another avenue where they can reach out to you directly? I I could I have no problem providing my uh, email address from the okay. company standpoint. It's yeah. just Jerry J J E R R Y dot Muir M U I R at Grayco dot com. All righty, fantastic. Well, Jerry, thank you so much for joining us here today. It's been a lot of fun. I was very much looking forward to having you here and just a, a wealth of knowledge, you know, on the lending side of this this industry. Again, you've been in it for a very long time. You've seen a lot of changes, lots of ups and downs. And again, I think we're on the right trajectory now. And I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, what the future holds for Fannie and their lending programs. And, you know, the last 5, 10, 50, 20 years have all been evolution. It's all going in the right direction. So, Again, thank you for coming on and bringing your information on the show and your, your, your knowledge. And it's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Kevin. It's been great. Thank you. All right. You take care, Jerry. Congratulations for taking the necessary steps to achieving massive success through the highly lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Be sure to visit our website, mobilehomeparkacademy.com, to download your free digital ebook version of the 21 biggest mistakes investors make when buying their first mobile home park and how you can avoid them. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to our free monthly mobile home park investing newsletter, which is jammed full of valuable tips, tricks, and strategies to help you accelerate your path to success as a mobile home park investor. More information about this podcast and its hosts can be found by visiting mobilehomeparkacademy.com.